When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. There were absolutely more challenges than there were not. There were more tearful days than there were happy days. Yeah, there's a lot of challenges because I loved what I was doing, but I had to go like do all the mundane things that you have to do to run a business, right? And mundane does not light me up. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the pleasure, and I didn't ask her how to say her name, but I think I know how to say it, of having Alyssa Nelson on with me today. Alyssa, how are you? Hi. Oh, I'm fantastic. And I actually do go by all three names, a little like a serial killer, but not. So it's Alyssa Dare Nelson. And the reason for that is is many, which we can dive into if you would like. But in part, because there's a lot of Alyssa Nelsons out there, I realized. And thus, you know, uh, to recapture my original identity in this body, I needed to add dare as my middle name which is my maiden name which is the name that i was put on this earth with there we go Alyssa dare nelson ladies and gentlemen if you don't know we're about to go deep today we are, we are about to go deep so what part of the world are you in i am in the twin cities in minnesota so oh. i happen to be on the saint paul side of the river but um i love the Minneapolis side of the river as well. Um, so I have some ties over there too. Um, but if you've ever been to the Twin Cities, you will know that there is like a distinct difference between the St. Paul side of the river and the Minneapolis side of the river. <laughs> okay. And so I do things really differently here. I don't make people wait all the way to the end of the episode to find out how they can learn more about the guests. Mm -hmm. And so I know the folks are going to love what you have to say. What's the best way for them to get in contact with you or learn more about what you have going on? Yeah, well, my website's obviously a good place. Uh, it's daretosucceed.com, and that's dare spelled like my name. So it's D-A-I-R-E, the number two, succeed.com. And people often spell succeed with one C or or or, or not. I, e. I don't know. So yeah. it's like, yeah, oh. it gets confusing because there's a lot of like circular-ish letters in there. Uh, but S-U-C-C-E-E-D. So daretosucceed.com. You can find me on Facebook. My personal Facebook is actually where I do a lot of really vulnerable posts, which I'm good with being vulnerable professionally on LinkedIn as well. But it's a space that I can be even more so personal. Um, and I have an intentionally public profile on Facebook, which also means I get some weirdo <laughs> weirdos. Um, and then I just delete and block and that's fine. But I think it's important for people to be able to see my story, even if they're not necessarily friends with me on Facebook. So they can also find me on Facebook too. I kind of avoid the Twitter. I just, it's not really my jam. So yeah, so that's where they can find me. 
the Twitter, the Facebook, <laughs> the Instagram. Yes. <laughs> so you, you you dropped the word and I we love vulnerability. We love authenticity on the podcast. And so the first question I'm going to ask you, and just going to dive in right off the gate. Do you remember when you had your red pill moment? That mm. day, that moment, that minute, that second where you're like, I got to get out of here because this thing is a matrix. It's a prison. You know, I think for me, the and, and there's been so many moments, right? Because when you go deep, then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, there's another layer of this. I think the moment for me where I really had that red pill uh, awareness was when I took the StrengthsFinder profile. And I know that sounds like really weird, um, but I was in my early 30s and I, I took this profile and it was something that had 40 years of research behind it. So thus it was statistically relevant. It was all these things with my healthcare background that was important, like evidence-based research, da, 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 da. But more importantly, it was something that was concrete and, concrete and solid that told me there were things that were right with me. Because all of my life, I had believed there was all of these things that were wrong with me. And so when people said, oh, I think you're great, or I think this, or I think that, and they were complimentary or positive, I was like, well, they're just saying that. <laughs> like, that's not real. And so that was why I chose to go get certified in the Strengths Finder. And now it's called Clifton Strengths Profile because I was like, man like, this is real. Like this proves that there's all these things that are right with people. And what happens if we focus on that? Like that feels a whole lot better. And so of course there's been layer upon layer upon layer after that, but that was really the thing that got me looking at a strengths-based approach to life, to business, to all of it versus the, how do I fix myself so that I can operate better and be more efficient, be more productive and yada, da da. Okay. So we got that point in time, right? You, you got the test and the test said that you were good at something. Mm -hmm. Now let's go back to what life was like before that. Yeah. How, what was that life? How'd you create it? Yeah. So that life before that was really firmly based in what I accomplished. And I was only worthy and worthwhile when I had accomplished something. And so thus, I, I identified my value based on what I had done. So I was absolutely a straight A student. I was a division one gymnast. Um, I didn't stay there for very long. That's a whole other story. But, you know, I was, I, I was good at a lot of things because I needed that in order to feel like I was worthwhile. Um, so that's how I operated um, I was also in a family of seven kids. That's how I grew up. I was number six of those seven. And I was kind of always getting in trouble, but that like major trouble, not like trouble with the police. Cause I knew like, that was like, no, don't do that. But like <laughs> getting, you know, I, I, I always wanted to want, I always wanted to ask like, well, why is that rule in place? So, uh, my Enneagram actually shows that I'm a challenger, which is, makes a lot of sense. Like I was always like, but why, why the status quo? Like that doesn't make any sense just because it was done that way before. Why does it have to be done that way? I was also the kid that thought I could outsmart all of the mistakes of my older siblings, but <laughs> actually some of them I could outsmart because I was, I was actually a pretty smart kid. You just had to figure out how to not get caught. Right. And, and so I vacillated and I, I've always been this bright, shiny, super passionate, super energetic human being. Right. But that also meant that I was too much for a lot of people. And so I vacillated between this really outspoken, really bright, really passionate person. And then I'd shrink. Right. Cause I'd be too much. I'd get my hands left. I'd get knocked down. I'd get told, you know, one thing or another. And so I, I really vacillated all through life, like leaning in and leaning, out, leaning in and leaning out which is exhausting. It's exhausting, right? Trying to be me, be myself, but then also trying to conform to what, what other people uh, felt was acceptable for me. And in doing so, I also pursued two different degrees. So my very first degree was in nutrition. I was a registered dietitian for about eight years. I went back to nursing school 
got my nursing degree. I was a nurse, a bedside nurse, and then a nurse care coordinator. So I was a nurse, practicing nurse for about three years. And then during that time, I also started a a direct sales business, right? Which we we can talk, but we don't need to talk about that. The the the, the business model did not serve me, as it does not serve many many people. But I learned a lot during that time. And it was during that time that I actually hired my first coach. And I was like, what if I could show up to a table and instead of asking this person what their dreams are and then trying to sort of recruit them into my dream, right? Because that's the one of the biggest ways that you make money in direct sales or network marketing is by recruiting others. I was like, I don't want to do that. This business isn't right for people. I don't want to recruit them into this business. I want to recruit them into their dream, not mine. And so through that exposure, I was like, I think I want to be a coach anyway. And so that's kind of the, the pathways that, that got me to where I am and what I operated like before I was ever exposed to this StrengthsFinder profile. But um, it was through that direct sales company uh, and some networking things that I was involved with that I got exposed to it. So while I'm glad I'm not in it still, I am grateful for the experience. Wow. Okay. So being a dietitian wasn't enough. You had to go mm-hmm. be a nurse. The overachiever, the perfectionist coming out at every level, mm-hmm. right? Or mm-hmm. I can do it all. You guys, yeah. you can't tell me anything, right? Right. Well, and I'd also reached the pinnacle of my career at age 26 um, as, a, <laughs> as a registered dietitian. And and I, I always wanted something next to go, but, but in the hospital setting, um, the next place to go, like the next step up from the nutrition support dietitian, blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, which does more of the medical, medical nutrition therapy, TPN, tube feeding, you know, the, the ICU working with the, the, the intensivist team. And it, it's really fascinating and awesome. Um, but the next step up from that was the nutrition services manager. And I, I didn't like, I waited tables through college. Like I did not want to work in food service. I just, and, and that can appeal and it is the right job for, and right career for some people. It was not the right move for me. And so I was like, well, now what? Like, what's the next step? Right. Cause there always had to be a next step because where I was, was never good enough. And that's why I went back to nursing school. Yeah. I think it was interesting because you were talking about the gymnastics and some of the other stuff and it's you were just put in all these situations where you were being judged and people were looking for your imperfections. And I think that wired you to mm-hmm. not feel like you were good enough or inadequate. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's already tough enough as a woman um, with all the body issues and all the other stuff that goes with it. But when mm-hmm. we start thinking about, well, now we're going to put you in a pageant or we're going to put you in something where they judge your ability. It gets yeah. really, really, really yeah. difficult. Well, ironically, the whole reason I became a dietitian was it was a dietitian my freshman year of college who actually helped me to see food in a more healthy light. And so while I did not have an eating disorder, I had very disordered eating. And she was the first person who said, no, Alyssa, you need to eat more, not less. And I was like, what? What is this? (laughs) What is this madness? Because I'd been dieting since I was 12, you know? And so that was like, she helped me to see myself in a different light. And thus I went and became a dietitian so I could help see, help others see themselves in a different light. So like this thread of wanting, wanting to help people see themselves as all they are, not just as something that needs to be fixed, you know, pushed me into, into that first career for sure. So it it is kind of interesting how it all fits together. And then to come full circle, I now uh, am a head coach of a high school gymnastics team. And so I get to breathe life and belief into all of these teenage girls that, you know, are, are, are going through the same challenges or similar challenges, right? As I went through, and now I get to be that person to say, "Uh uh-uh, you're amazing. And let me help you see why. So this is my first year with the team that I'm with, and I'm having them take the Clifton Strengths profile so that I can help them see with the same proof, the same evidence, not just, you know, an, as an encouraging coach, but for real, like these are all the reasons why you're amazing. 
Because I've often said, man, if I had this information from someone I could hear it from, which is important, right? At age 15 or 16, the difference that may have made in my life. And now I get to be that person for these young people. I think that can be the greatest gift that we can offer the world often is just being the person that we needed when we were yeah. at a different point, a point yeah. behind us, one of our yeah, friends. For sure. So you, you mentioned that you hired a coach. And so how did that coach help you get to that red pill moment that we started the episode? Yeah. So it was after... I had been exposed to the strengths profile that I finally hired my first coach. Uh, is that true or not true? When did I? Maybe it was around the same time. And this person just helped me see that it's okay to need help and that the role of a coach is not to fix you, but to unleash you. And I was like, ooh, that's that's pretty awesome, right? Like, it wasn't that I was hiring this person. Yes, the, the the pain point was there to hire a coach. Like I needed some help, right? And I wasn't as successful as I wanted to be, et cetera. But the role of the coach wasn't to fix me. It was to help me see myself in a new, with a new lens and to then unleash me. I was like, this is awesome. Like you can really make a career out of something like this. Like, whoa. And so that, to me was a really powerful thing. And I think it was actually shortly thereafter that I was exposed. Yes, it was because I started my coaching business and then, uh, you know, like, cause anybody can hang out their shingle <laughs> by the way and call themselves a coach, which yeah. I, so God bless the first people who hired me as a coach because um, I, you know, I think there was value there, but I am a, much better coach now <laughs> than I was then. And then I enrolled in uh, this strength strategy certification, which was an eight, eight or nine month certification. And it was really intense and really helped me to dive deep into strengths to help me make strengths actionable for the people that I was working with. Um, and also for myself, right? So I got to learn about me while I got to learn how to also unleash it for others. Whoa. So you're going through the process and it sounds like you're the guinea pig, right? You're experimenting with yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is totally, that's totally my jam, right? Like I, I've, I've long done that. I mean, it's part of the reason that I went through dietetic school, right? Was like, Oh, if this dietitian in this, you know, few months that I was working with her helped me to make all of these ahas, right? What more could I do? And I did guinea pig with guinea pig. I experiment with myself even in that first degree. Like it was, it was really interesting as an undergrad. A lot of times I was like, well, let's just see, like, how much weight can I lose? Do not recommend. It's not like, but like this was my 21 year old self. Like, could I be? as lean as I want to be based on the monkeying with my macros and my nutrition. And like the reality is I, I could, like that was fascinating for me. It's like, what is my body capable of? Anyway, so, you know, I got down to a, to a, a, a weight that is not, is not healthy for me. And it was the first time I was like, ooh, I need to gain weight. So again, disordered eating, like the mindset there was not healthy. Do not recommend one out of 10 recommend, <laughs> but, and now I can see the unhealthiness of that, but it was like this big experiment. Like, what can I do? What is the experience? How does this feel going through this? Um, anyway, so yeah, I've always made myself the guinea pig. Um, Cause I have often said, hey, I don't want to ask anybody to do something that I am not willing to do myself um, or that's not right. You, you know what I mean? So, yeah. I think that's and, super And now important. your entire audience thinks I'm bonkers. So. <laughs> or they identify with you because they've been experimenting. And I think the majority of us do the experimentation until we aren't able to get the result that we desire. And that's when we actually go get help because we're stubborn. Yeah, right? we we're smart enough. Things. We've had, we've been successful. We've been able to figure stuff out on our own in the past. Why would I pay this person all this money when I'm already smart and capable? What could they possibly tell me or do for me? 
And then you get frustrated with not being able to attain or achieve the result and then make an adjustment. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you get Tur- some turns help. out that eyes outside of yourself um, actually do help. <laughs> more than most people would like to admit. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you get the certification, you start serving some folks, you start serving more folks. Were, were there some challenges along the way? <laughs> There were absolutely more challenges than there were not. There were more tearful days than there were happy days. Yeah, there's a lot of challenges because I loved what I was doing, but I had to go like do all the mundane things that you have to do to run a business, right? And mundane does not light me up. So then it was like, wow, okay, so I just need to hire somebody to do the things I don't want to do, right? But there's a couple of problems with that. Number one, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are stuck in this donut hole. I like to call it right. Like, like you're making enough and you're busy enough that all the mundane things like either fall off your plate or they feel like too much or you're working, you know, all these hours, but you're not necessarily making enough to be able to afford to delegate, you know, to hire someone to delegate all these things too. Problem number two, even if you invest in somebody who can do the things that you're not great at, if you haven't created a process for doing those things, you end up micromanaging this person because they have to ask you at every turn. So what am I doing with this? What is the process for this? And so then you get even smarter and you go, okay, I'm going to pay a really high level Uh, executive assistant or virtual assistant to be able to create these processes while we're going through it. And so then you hire that person and now you're paying, you know, $45, $60 an hour, which I have done to hire this person who's going to create the processes and do all of these things because they're, they're high level, they're very skilled. And then that person gets so frustrated with your ADHD brain that they end up quitting, right? And then you feel like a, like an, an even bigger loser because you can't even like you can't even hold on to someone that you're paying sixty dollars an hour for. So like, there's all these challenges, and so then you're like, oh, I guess I have to just do it all myself. So again, not that it's not possible; it certainly is. But there are lots of barriers to. And being able to delegate those things out effectively. The other thing that I did not realize, although I had some awareness of it, was that I had this undiagnosed ADHD, um, which was like so evident, so evident from the time I was a little, little girl, so evident. Um, but I thought, well, I can, I can personally develop my way out of this, right? Like, yeah, I can, I can just, you know, I can, I can fix this. And, and I even used my StrengthsFinder profile to justify in my own mind that <laughs> this is just, this is just my strengths. I just need to leverage my strengths and, and mitigate my weaknesses. And it's going to be good because I've got an activator, right? In my top five. And the activator is all about moving. It's all about moving. Now I would like to see, actually, <laughs> I would really love to see a study and Gallup does, Gallup owns Clifton Strengths, right? And they do great research. Like, I want to see a research study on the number of people with activator or ideation in their top five that also have ADHD. We know that ADHD is more common, significantly more common in entrepreneurs than people who carry W 2 jobs um, for a lot of reasons, right? But I'm really curious about that. So I was like, oh, it's just activator, it's just ideation. Like, I just need to, like, leverage this and not fall into my overuse patterns and blah, blah, blah. Now, so that helped me create a lot of strategies for success, but it didn't mitigate the underlying problem. And literally my ADHD diagnosis is less than a week old. I finally, at the age of 43, went through the testing and got the diagnosis. And so now I'm in the midst of, with my doctor, creating a treatment plan that's going to actually work for me. So all of these years, this is back to your original question, all of these years of the lows more so than the highs, right? Like when I'm serving clients, it's magic. It's magic and I love it. But all of the other things have been so frustrating and so disheartening and so anxiety producing 
right? That I've always felt like I'm just three feet from gold. I'm right there. And the three feet from gold moment, I have been begging the universe for. And that three feet from gold moment happened last Thursday when I got this ADHD diagnosis because it's like walking around with poor vision and then wondering why you can't see. So I'm really excited for what the next stage of this might be. So you went, you were hoping for this thing. You got the thing. What was your worst fear in the process and how'd you overcome it? My worst fear in the process. Are you talking about my ADHD diagnosis process? That? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my worst fear was that I would test too well and that I would show up as not having ADHD because one of the unbeknownst to myself strategies, inadvertent strategies that I created was this competitive nature. So on the, on the strengths profile, competition is number 26 for me. So it's like way in my blind spot. And that's real. Like, I don't care who wins. I want us all to win. Like I am cheering you on. I am cheering this person on. Like I, it doesn't matter to me because I want everybody to win. But I had used this competitive adrenaline or competitive drive to finish things. Cause I, that was, that's part of my ADHD is I would start all these things, but I wouldn't finish. So people are always like, Oh, listen, you are so competitive. I'm like, actually I'm not, but I had inadvertently used this competitive adrenaline drive to finish things. And so thus I was a really good and am a really good test taker. Like, cause, cause that test will be my bitch. I will make it. I don't know if I can curse or not, but like, I will, I will beat this thing. Right. And so I was very worried that I would go in and I would test and you'd be like, you're totally fine. I have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm like, oh my God, you know? Um, so that was my biggest fear. And I, I did, I lost a lot of sleep over it in between the testing sessions and the results session of what, what am I going to do if he actually says I don't have it after all these years. And, and there was a couple of tests that actually did not support a diagnosis of ADHD because I tested so well. But the, then there was just, you know, all the other things that were like, oh yeah, you clearly have this. And, and, and then he went on. And that was the other thing is I thought it was either you have it or you don't, and then, you know, go on your merry way. But they actually went through that this, this assessor went through and said, these are where your deficits are per the tests. And I was like, okay, this is so interesting. So just having the diagnosis and the results of like, my auditory memory, for instance, is horrible, like far below average. It's probably because there's so much going on in my brain that like stuff just doesn't get in. Right. And so the irony is like years ago, I'm like in an effort to be present. I'm like, I'm not going to take notes anymore. Not during coaching sessions, not during conferences or learning like, right. Cause I'm going to be present. I'm going to focus and be present. And I have the slides I can look at later but I wasn't taking any notes. Well, I need the activity of actually taking the notes, right? The physical activity. Plus I need the visual connection. So especially in the last five or 10 years, I'm like, oh my God, like what has happened in my memory? Like I can't retain anything. Well, this is why, like, duh. So now literally just in the last week, I've been able to share with my clients, hey, uh, I'm gonna start taking notes and this is because I really wanna get this right? I want to be able to retain this so that we can, we can build on this. And they're like, yeah, that's totally fine. But in the coaching realm, they say, don't take notes because it, you, every time you look down to take notes, you break a connection with your client. So it's opposite of what coaching practice tells you you should do, but it's what I need in order to be my best for my clients. So, you know, even just having those things, and again, we haven't even, I haven't even had the discussion with my primary doctor about medication yet, but that's been great too. Cause that was the other fears like, okay, so once I have this diagnosis, then what? Like, I, I mean, I've known that I've had all these symptoms. So how is this going to change anything? You know? And that's part of why I put off getting tested for so long. Wow. Because what if it doesn't change any? Exactly. Mm. Exactly. A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential, but lack the strategy, support, and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. 
they often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, aka the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, I think a lot of us, I mean, like there's people listening who have an idea and they won't try the idea because what if it doesn't work? Mm-hmm. Right? There are people who are in love with someone and they won't say anything to them because what if they're not interested? Yeah. And once you know, it's hard to unknow. Yeah. Right? It's hard to unknow that they don't have the same level of interest as you do. Yeah. It's hard to back. unknow. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I was going to say, which goes back to that red pill moment. It takes courage to take that red pill because you can't unlearn what you know. So we'll see if this one trips you up, but I know you got it somewhere. So was there a rock bottom? Like, Was there a space when everything was on the line? In some ways, in some ways, um, you know, in my lifetime, I have been through a divorce. So some people would consider that a rock bottom. You know, in my in my lifetime, I have had worries over alcohol. Am I, you know, I've certainly abused alcohol and done stupid things based on having the alcohol in my system. And and some some of those things like put me at risk of like it, this could endanger my marriage. So I am remarried to the most amazing man on the planet. You know, and he is the guy who says, look, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. And that safety has made it okay for me to pursue the help I need. Right. And so the rock bottom for me just was this, this moment about, it was about last October or so. And, you know, here I've, I've, I've always had a coach, right. Um, since I started my business, I've always had a coach and I was like, I just feel like I need to stop. Like, I feel like I've been full speed ahead, but I just keep getting this sense that I need to slow down and heal. And I was like, heal from what? And I didn't have the answer to that, but I just felt this, this over, Overwhelming sense that it was time for me to slow down. Now, I just mentioned I have activator, I have ADHD, blah, 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 right? So for me to slow down, incredibly difficult. And I was like, I don't like, what do I, what do I even, what am I healing from? Right. Um, And so I started reading a lot of books and started reading about ancestral um, wounds and, you know, other, other types of like, maybe this isn't even me. And it was really this like, it was, it was, I, I can't even really explain. It was just something I had to do. So I stopped working with a coach, started working with a therapist. And for the most part, therapy was like fabulous. Like, you know, I mean, nothing uncovered or whatever, but sitting in all of this un- uncomfortable space of like, well, what happens if I just sit with this emotion instead of trying to move away from it or move through it? Cause I, cause I, I've never been really an avoidant person, but like, okay, so I feel the sadness and now I just have to like move through it. Like take care of it. What's making you sad? Address that. Say sorry if you need to, which is you have to say sorry a lot when you have ADHD, (laughs) Um, you know, and then, and then move through it, like fix the problem, put the thing in place so that it doesn't happen again. And then just move through. And I had to just sit. Right. And so this pursuing of the diagnosis was, was because of that. It's like, there's something that doesn't fit here. And so I need to, I, I need to actually follow through with this, even if it's really scary and even if it's uncomfortable. So that was a big part of it um, as well. And then there was some drinking things in there. I've for a long time had a lot of shame and guilt attached to any amount of alcohol consumption um, that I've had. So the best uh, explanation I've ever heard of ADHD is you have a Ferrari engine brain and bicycle brakes. So in one of the books that I read in this healing time was, uh, was about ADHD. And, and he said, you know, people resist medication 
because they don't want to kill their magic. So true. He goes, but here's the thing. You have been medicating. You've been medicating with coffee to help you focus and with alcohol to slow your brain down. And I just cried. So I was like, that's so me. That's so me. But here's the problem. You have a, have a drink to help slow your brain down because it's just, it is so busy, right? That you remove the bicycle brakes. And now, like what was the little inhibition before is none. <laughs> and so understandably, like having another drink or, you know, those kinds of things w- became dangerous things, right? And so it gave me a whole lot of peace around, oh, this may be related to my ADHD, not because I have a drinking problem, but because I was treating my ADHD in part with alcohol. And so like, there's been healing that's come around that as well. And also I don't want to be the person who destroys my life or worse, somebody else's life because of alcohol. Right. So, you know, with, with that, that was something that I also knew I needed to take care of. And so there's been quite a few moments where, where I would say that there's been sort of rock bottoms with, you know, coming out of a a drinking episode, you know, and like, okay, I'm not going to drink for a year. So I wouldn't drink for a year. Okay, cool. And then, oh, well, clearly I don't have an alcohol problem, so I can, I can drink again. You know, that, that kind of thing, right? Oh, I'll have all these rules around my drinking. And then, and then you break your own rules. And then it's like, well, well, if I have to have a lot of rules around my drinking, do I have a drinking problem? Because all these things that go around. And so again, there's this extra layer of peace that has come with this diagnosis as well. It's like, and, and I am, I'm, I have given myself, you know, this rule, no alcohol. And that's also in part because I'm, I'm prepping for a bodybuilding competition um, as well. So no alcohol based on that, but like, until I know how to manage this thing and I'm never, I'm not going to say no alcohol ever again, which may be a decision I make in the future. I don't know, but not right now. It's just not right now, you know? So that was a long answer to your rock bottom question. Well, but it's comprehensive. And I think it's, to the point of the beginning of the show about being vulnerable and authentic, I think people have a really hard time expressing the things that you just shared. So I don't think that ever happens in vain. I think there's somebody who's listening right now who's extremely grateful that you were able to take such a deep dive and share it with no shame. It's just a matter of fact. It happened. It is. It has been. And we're moving on because it's part of my journey and it's part of my story. And I'm here to help you on your journey. Yeah. yeah. So I, I certainly appreciate it. And I didn't feel like it was long. It was just, there was a lot to unpack and unravel there. And so as you were speaking about that piece of your journey, I couldn't help but wonder, like, how did you manage your health at that point? Because there's all these different pieces and then, mm-hmm. you know, people want to get better they need a diagnosis so they can know what the treatment plan is in order to deal with whatever is going on with them and i know people get tired of hearing doctors say oh i don't know or who knows or whatever else so like how did you stay healthy when you knew something was wrong but you didn't know what was wrong yeah one of my strengths in my in my strengths finder profile is positivity and so that was one of the things that I used a lot was like, let's reframe this. I failed, but how can I um, use this as a means of learning instead of just feeling really shitty about myself? You know, so, so that was a part of it was this positivity thing. Although positivity can spiral in on itself and like either I'm 95% of the time, like way up, here we go. Yeah, that's great. Let's reframe. Or I'm like 5% of the time, like on my couch, you know, bawling and eating bonbons and whatever. Right. I never (laughs) heard of a bodybuilder that eats bonbons. (laughs) Oh, oh, well, this is a, that's a whole episode for another day, but the bodybuilding industry is incredibly, um, is known to be incredibly, uh, unhealthy with regards to nutrition. And that's it again, that's a, that's a whole nother thing, but during prep, no, they certainly don't. Um, and so, and so that was part of how I managed some of those things was like, well, how about I prep for a bodybuilding competition? Because then I have an acute goal, right? The com- the competitive drive thing that kept me focused, kept my attention. And then I had to make healthy choices 
right? In order to fulfill the goal. So that was part of how I did that. The other part was honestly a lot of work on self-love. It, it, it absolutely helped to have a, a coach in my corner all the time, right? To help me reframe, to help pull me out of these, these deep dumps of, of sadness and whatever, when I felt like I'd failed so badly. So you know, that was really helpful. And, you know, I, I am a coach that believes in coaching because it, it helped me and it's part of what I get to do to help my clients as well. So that certainly was part of what helped me keep my, my health front and center. Also, I have, you know, two teenage daughters and a husband who I need to be at my best in order to be at my best for them. And so over the years, it shifted to being the best for them to being the best for me is the way that I am the best for them, right? So it moved from an externalized, I just got to do what it takes to be what they need, right? To I got to do what it takes for me to be my best me. And out of that, I am my best self for them. You know, I kind of mentioned how I'm a gymnastics coach now so that I can be the adult that I needed at that age. Uh, but my entire focus as a mom is to be the type of mom that I needed. And my my oldest daughter, who's 16 now, she is very much like me. And my 15-year-old is not at all. And so, but but we work, like we work hard to connect and to support and to, to, to be the, the mom. Cause my, my husband to ask me that many times, like, why do you work so hard? Like, you know, you're a good person, right? Like, why are you reading another book on self-development? Why are you watching another documentary like Brene Brown again? Um, right. Like all of these things. And I'm like, because it is my, I feel it is my job to do all of the healing and all of the development to be the very best that I can be for them and for you. And that journey never ends. So yeah, I'm going to keep working on this until. And he's like, okay, <laughs> I love you. I just need you to know I love you no matter what. So yeah. I think it's coming from a healthy place. I think there's there was a point in your journey where you were not doing these things. You were doing them out of guilt. You were doing them out of yes. uh, lack. And now it's like, well, I got to unlock all the potential because it's mm -hmm. still there. And, you know, I like where I am, but man, I know there's so much more that's available to me. Yes. And those two perspectives are very, very different. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So my mantra in the last year has been, I love myself uh, and others completely and unconditionally. And I was like, how do I do that? Like, how do I, you know, my end goal, right, is to be love and to express it. Because love is, unconditional love is like the highest vibration, right, that you can be. And I was like, that's what I want to be, like beyond being a mom, being a wife, being a business owner, being a coach, being a friend or a daughter, like all these things, all these roles that I play, I want to be love and express it. And so I had to figure out like, what is unconditional love? Like it's not unboundaried love. It's, it's unconditional. So uh, Prentice Hemphill says that boundaries are the distance that I need to love you and myself at the same time. And I love that quote. Yeah. That's Ooh. big. That's big. So right? give us give us an example of that. I mean, it sounds really cool, but make it practical. Yeah. Okay. So um I was involved for a couple of years with a nonprofit coalition in uh in North Minneapolis that was that was had an, an amazing mission amazing mission. And so I was right in there doing all the things like at the, at the cost of effort and energy I was putting into my business. And, you know, I very quickly became kind of one of the, I don't want to say top people, but one of the most um, certainly influential people in this coalition. And I loved it, except that 
the person that was leading this, um, every time I'd have a conversation with this person, I would end up with a stomach ache. And it was really frustrating. And I didn't feel heard. I didn't feel like my opinion really mattered. I felt like I got placated a lot, you know, but I was like, but, but the mission, but the mission, but the mission, right? And when I heard Prentice Hemphill say that, I was like, oh, I need to create some distance and space from this. And so as much as it hurt, and I did, I grieved it like a grieved leaving this coalition, like the loss of a, a dear friend, because I believe so hard in the mission, but I had to step away from it because I wasn't able to love myself and the mission and the, the leader of this coalition with that level of, of closeness, right? So I now can watch this coalition do its thing and cheer it on and be happy for it and everything else. But I love myself enough to not harm my own health in the interim. So another example of that would be, you know, with my, my ex-husband and he and I forged a really good, what I thought was a really good friendship post-divorce for many, many, many years. But every once in a while, stuff would blow up and I would, you know, work to make things, you know, fix things and blah, 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 so that it was good for the girls and, you know, all of these other things, except that like, I would take care of the things, which is exactly what I did in marriage. Okay. <laughs> and then, and so in, in late February, I finally said, you know, in, enough's enough. Like, I'm not going to take you blowing up at me and blaming me and telling me, calling me all these names and, you know, accusing me of all these things when I'm literally doing what's best for the girls. And of course, I'm certain he has a very different perspective on how this all went down. So understanding that, you know, the truth is, is, you know, my story and his story and someplace in between that. Right. But I just said, I, I can't be friends with you anymore. Like, you know, why would you, you know, like, that's crazy. People get in fights. I'm like, yeah, but you know, it's this disrespect thing that I can't do anymore. And so now we are co-parents. Um, and again, grieving the loss of that friendship that I thought we had, but this distance is what I need in order to love myself and to be able to stay in a place of compassion and love for him. It just needs to be over there. That makes I sense. Love it. You're protecting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and, I love it. Yeah. And, and, and again, it, it allows the space for him to be a good person, just not good for me. Right. Um, and I think that's a really important thing. Like we don't have to demonize people. We don't have to demonize ourselves or others and say they're, you know, an awful person or a narcissist, which I think is, is, is a term that's thrown around maybe a little bit too much, um, right at this moment, but like it's, it's, I don't have to do that. I can just say, he's not healthy for me. And we get to choose. And I think that's the magic of it all. There are a lot of people who live in a world where they don't think they have any choice. And I do believe that you have the choice to decide what you do. You just don't get the choice of the consequences of what you do. And there's a likely outcome from a lot of the decisions we make, but none of those things are certain. And so in that, I, I, I just appreciate that. I, I think that concept is so profound and really excited to hear that one because, you know, some people feel guilty about making those choices. Mm-hmm. I mean, they feel like they have to keep being abused by family members or partners or friends or kids or whoever they are responsible for loving because of whatever the relationship is or was. And I think it's freeing to be able to adopt that mantra and then live that out in practice. And, you know, I I just titled this episode, love yourself enough not to harm yourself, because I Mm -hmm. think that is just the common thread throughout this show from the disordered eating to the drinking to all the interactions. And each time it seems like you've just leveled yourself up when you've encountered these conflicts and been able to find a new safe and healthy space for you 
and you continue to do that work until right yeah and until is probably when it's over not yeah. sometime before that and so yeah. Alyssa dare nelson you are absolutely a dream catcher and i want to ask you the final question sure and this one i ask every guest and it's what's the one thing you want the listeners to take away from this episode mm. you know i really think it is that you're absolutely unquestionably amazing and and looking at yourself for where you can improve where you can level up doesn't require you to to beat yourself up and to think you're less than but to love yourself to that success you know i think our society uses a lot of stick um, motivation, right? Like beating you with a stick kind of thing. But if you can say, you know, I love myself enough to pursue the next level of myself, not because I am fractured or broken. And, and there may be things that have happened to you that have fractured or broken you, but to say, because, you know, even if I broke a bone, I don't just say, well, geez, you know, I broke a bone and this is just who I am. You go to the doctor and you, you set the bone, you get a cast, and you heal it. So the, the personal development side of it is one thing, but then the, the healing aspect of it is another. And so the human being that you are is absolutely amazing. Love yourself enough to pursue what you need to do to be that person that you are. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it directly from her lips to your ears. Alyssa, this was a phenomenal episode. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time. It is my pleasure. And, you know, again, if anybody has any questions or they just want to reach out and go, hey, this resonated and I, and I you know, I want to talk about it. Um, I'm, I'm here. Like, I don't even like, okay, so I care about business, right? Business pays bills and all of that. But like these connections, these human conversations are even more important. And so reach out. I'm here. To the listeners, your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real. <laughs>